Okay, are we, we are. recording we're, we're, now? We're recording, yes. Okay. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Neurodivergent Moments. I'm we're back. A- we're back. Oh, yeah, because we've been this gone. This is the first one back. <laughs> it feels like only yesterday that we were at Latitude Festival. We've been gone for a couple of months. Oh, yes, we have been. Um, yeah. So, uh, Joe, how have you been since we've been gone? Not that we've talked regularly this whole time. <laughs> I've been good. I had a lovely fringe back. Excited about the podcast. We, we've as as we're recording this, we've recorded two interviews, and they were both very exciting. I feel like we're it's going to be a good series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was once we got back uh, into doing it. I was like, I know I like doing this. It's not like I was like, ugh, the podcast. But I'm like, I fucking love talking to people about this stuff. Like mm. it's. Just, I learn something every time we do it. Um, I really enjoy listening to the podcast back again. Maybe that's why we're getting good listeners, it's just me listening to it back over and over again. But uh, yeah, I, often there'll be stuff which I pick out and I sort of feel like I need to reflect on. And, um, and we've had lovely feedback from listeners. Someone yeah, said it... I was doing a gig in Worthing and someone came up and said they're a podcast listener the other day. Oh, that's so sweet. And um, this uh, podcast right here is our first in-studio recording. Yes, and we have our patrons to thank for that. Yeah, so um, thank you guys so much for those of you who signed up for the Patreon. Um, We got a big wave, too, when Joe and I put our specials out, which that means a lot to me because more people saw the specials. And, um, yeah, uh, we interviewed Robert White. He is such an amazing person, so thoughtful, very funny, um, and he's had he's had a life. And you, dear listener, might know him from season of Britain's Got Talent, <laughs> season one thousand. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually watch the show. I watch his <laughs> clips, but I don't watch the show. I don't know. But um, yeah, um, I felt one thing we should say about the Robert interview, it was amazing. There were a couple of moments where Robert talks about uh, suicide and he also talks about eating disorders. Um, so I wonder whether it's just worth mentioning for our listeners that if that's not something that you want to hear about, um, then turn off the podcast now. Yeah, um, just so you guys know. And um, always, if you ever have um, suicidal thoughts, remember that there is always help out there. Our theme was coping. Was coping. Joe, how do you cope being autistic? <laughs> it's well, yeah, you know, how do I cope in a neurotypical world? I thought it really made the thing that I made me think about was like we talk a lot about unmasking and how that's really good, and I think it's good for people to unmask. But actually, it, there are times when you need to cope in a neurotypical world, and and broadly, I want to overthrow the system and create a new world where people don't have to cope in the way we have to now. But that's that's not going to happen overnight, and it's useful to have sort of um, strategies to cope in the time being. Yeah, the northern line's always going to be extremely loud, and that's why you need noise canceling headphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, and I think that like this here's my very sort of um uh that this is going to be like the, the quotable bit, but I think that uh, it's a privilege to be able to unmask to some extent. Um, you know, I think there are some people where it is, is riskier to, to unmask or they're not in situations where they can unmask. Um, so being able to cope in those situations um, uh, is, is, you know, is, is, is useful to those people. Yeah, because we talked about this in the interview. So I guess I don't have to reiterate it too much. But on uh, the TikTok that I spend way too much time on, don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of people talking about how about unmasking and how they don't want to mask anymore and living a completely unmasked life, which I think is amazing. But at the same time, I, I don't, I don't think it's completely practical. And, uh, I just think it was really interesting talking to Robert about like, you know, because Robert's very open about the fact that he's autistic and dyslexic. And I don't think you would look at Robert at all and say he hides who he is. But even no. though he's living his fabulous uh, autistic dyslexic gay, oh, God, he takes so many damn boxes, life, 
there's still moments where you have to adjust. Yeah. You got you got to work out what what works for you in every situation, haven't you? You got to make it work. Yeah. Shh. Should we listen to Robert? Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's dive right in. Here's Robert White. Our brand, he's stolen our brand yeah. of the awkward intro. Are we, are we going now? Yeah. So... We, we have like a full start, but you've uh, w- welcome to the team. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to be here. It's a, oh boy, uh, this is a first in, in studio. studio, first in studio. It's very exciting. Well, have yeah. we got? Have you got a camera? Have, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, we, oh wow, so I am being. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Surprise. Right. Um, we just cut it up for socialism. Oh, stuff. that's good. So, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah. Not a, so it's not it's it won't be the whole time but um uh welcome robert white yeah robert white hello first in studio guest season two thank you for coming thank you for having me robert white's performer comedian britain's got talent finalist various different things yeah yes musical genius um to an extent (laughs) (laughs) being modest about it for the purposes of one joke (laughs) but um how yeah. long? Because you play piano. How long have you been playing piano for? Uh, since I was eleven, something. Wow. Yeah. I played piano and I never practiced. Ergo, I cannot play piano. <laughs> and now I really want to buy a piano and reteach myself piano. Well, I I didn't have lessons. We couldn't afford lessons, so I, I taught myself the piano while I was in choir, and that taught me music when I was like. 10 or something and then I had trumpet lessons when I was 11 and when I was 12 there was a really crappy old piano which was out of tune and I taught myself on that piano wow wow you yeah. taught yourself I you taught myself I to couldn't... play the piano in a rubbish way <laughs> you know, I, I did keyboard lessons for about two years and I was so bad I couldn't even get my grade one and I got I think is this a real thing that I got introductory grade that's like below grade one I don't I, know whether they just made I it up to save my feelings they made up specifically for <laughs> I you won't you will have no memory of this Robert White mm-hmm. but when I was still living in New York but I would come over and do the fringe you were doing uh, spank right and you were asking the audience for uh, musical suggestions All right. and I shouted out flight of the bumblebee and you played it and just looked over going fuck you fuck you <laughs> fuck you and I well, was like this is very impressive man well firstly i probably played it in a rubbish way because <laughs> the thing the thing about um doing music is that uh sometimes i've done sort of gigs where you've got a, you know a comedy audience and you've got like proper musicians on stage and there's a divide between the comedy audience going, oh, this is amazing, and the musicians on stage going, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> and I can sort of play the first bit of like the Bumblebee. And back then when I used to do a bit where I uh, basically what I do is I ask the suggestion to say I could play anything. And the punchline was that I'd play anything from Oliver. <laughs> or I'd say anything you want and then play anything you want. And the reason I don't do it now is because it wasn't actually that funny. (laughs) But but getting to it, I then did, I had everything thrown at me. Yeah. So for about a year or two years, I was was making up half versions and crap versions of everything that was thrown at me. Um, But I do remember that because I'm autistic. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Exact date. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) No. So, because you, I've, I've had an interesting conversation with you in the past about how you've sort of like. Do you know not... I like that? What? What? Uh, when, <laughs> no, no. What I always like. Everyone says I had a conversation with you in the past. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> not like. It's not, why does everyone say? Why does everyone say something which is like so fucking obvious? <laughs> the well, amount of tautology there is in language. <laughs> and seeing as we're on this podcast, it's the time to say because it really gets on my dick. <laughs> it really, everyone just like double speaks everything and just doesn't give a shit. I apologize. This is the Great. only conversation I've ever had that's not in the past. This, is, this one's in the present. Joe, quick, tell them about that conversation you guys had in the future quick <laughs> yes well in fact today i did get offered a gig by my agent which was can you do this gig february the 24th 
2022. So maybe there's a That's thing going round. <laughs> Annoying, because it's the first gig he's got me for fucking ages. <laughs> <laughs> I, keep get, I keep getting gigs and saying, I've got a gig, and he goes, oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I've been getting a few corporates and stuff recently. But, um, yeah, no, uh, I cut off your sentence. So, you had a conversation with me. <laughs> In the past. Because your comedy is quite interactive. And uh, we've talked about how you've sort of learnt that sort of interaction in a way that maybe neurotypical people uh, it, it learn in a different well, way. Well, f- firstly, it's, it, it must be uh, hard for any... You know, it's like, what's it like being black? I don't know what it's like being black. I haven't been white. What's it like being a woman? I don't know what it's like being a woman. Exhausting. <laughs> Etc. Et, et, et um, and I feel exhausted. And... Um, What's it like being autistic and what's my learning thing? What I did say was, I think one element of me directly connecting with the audience was because learning comedy for me started not just about learning comedy, but started about learning about autism because I wasn't diagnosed. I wasn't officially diagnosed. It was very late, like 30. But I didn't realise until I was like 21 and my life had gone totally to utter shit by then. And because it had got totally to utter shit, the only thing I could do was go into comedy. Because <laughs> that's what happens when life goes to totally utter shit. So starting comedy coincided not just about learning comedy, but learning about me and autism. So directly connecting with the audience in some way compensates for my inability to read sort of uh, subtle social cues and my inability for intuitive um, social skills. So I think if I ask someone something, I'm actually getting actual information. If I've got a bit in my thing where I've specifically got an improvised bit about a person that's specific, you know, there's lots of games and props and a few things and lots of improvisation which is basically I'm directly speaking to you that way I know what you're about mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah totally I think I find that very relatable because I think I had the I don't know whether you, you found this I if I've had a conversation of social interaction go not how I wanted it to I would worry about that for days on. I go, well, I said that in that shop, and I should have said this instead. And I bumped. Oh, person. insanely, but insanely! It's I can so if awful. I channel that into comedy, that's really useful because I can go, well, I did this bit of crowd work; it didn't go well. How could I have done that differently? And you're constantly retraining yourself. I, th- I, th- I think for me, learning people on the on the micro scale came from learning on the macro scale. They're so, very clever. Oh. So, I didn't understand it, but it is clever. Well, I said micro and macro. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, and that was it. And I think, and I think one thing about so autism for me, autism for me, but learning and coping and skills and all that sort of stuff for me, it's a com. It, it's you want to try and get as much coping as you can and as many skills as you can to compensate for everything which you find difficult. Whilst also giving yourself time when you don't have to do that and give yourself as much time just to be you as possible. And I think the one thing comedy has done, night after night after night after night after night, uh, has given me a repetition of the same and similar and different social situations and aspects just at the time when I was learning how to do people and learning to be me. Mm. Mm. So when you say that you need to have your coping skills, but also you need to give yourself time to be yourself, what does that time look like? Well, I, I, th- for me, that time looks like um, I th- there's a lot now about happy place, but I think I came up with happy place before people had happy place. <laughs> uh, and just do the nice things that you do. I think um, seeing friends or playing the piano or spending time with my mum, or just sitting quiet and not doing anything, or watching films. I think um, there's so... Because I do speaking, I do um, go and tell people how to be autistic um, in education environments (laughs) and stuff like that. And, And the two things which come up are, one, 
you shouldn't overly stretch people. Um, and there should it's sort of skills I think should be used like reading glasses when do you need reading glasses when you need to read and there's a big thing with dyslexic because I'm also dyslexic that teachers say you've got to learn to write correctly you've got to learn to write and and they get them to do it all the fucking time Mm. well if you're writing in rough or if you're writing in notes in the back of your planner make as many spelling mistakes as possible because I write in neat when I'm putting in a script but if I'm sending a message to my agent or a friend or something it's got all manner of because it's not something you're learning to get out of it's something you actually can't do Uh, and the second thing which I think I I sort of find in dispute in the educational environment is um, what can actually be bringing bad addictive traits because once you've had an overload or a meltdown or a, you know or or a time of coping what um having to cope and going through that over your mind's racing stuff what is the opposite of that is actually silence and not much whereas lots of people think the opposite of that is positive enforcement so like you've got to eat this or you've got to do that or play that game you've done that lesson now play that computer game done that but to me that's an addictive cycle it's like up and downers and up and downers and up and downers mm. once you've overloaded yourself it's like and relax yeah i definitely feel that like on my days off sometimes i'm like oh i'll get this done i'll do this and i'll i like I'll, I'll do this hobby or play this game I've been wanting to play. And then at the end of the day, it's like, no, I just really want to lay there and do nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just kind of recharge. And it's like one uh, – so I have ADHD. And when I got diagnosed, the thing that I've been trying to unlearn is just beating myself up, not beating myself up for the time I need to do nothing. Like, because you're right, it doesn't always have to be. Well, I think I think that's the coincidental thing, uh, the coincidental element between, and the what because what you said about beating yourself up and you beating yourself up, and definitely with me because I've had shitloads of shit going because I didn't have I, I had a massive thing happen when I was young and then that's not just given me autism, it's also given me trauma where I've had suicidal thoughts and absolutely utterly hated myself. Mm-hmm. And the thing with any sort of new diversity is you've got so much overthinking and so much coping and so much compensating that this other little thing comes on your shoulder, which is nothing to do with ADHD and nothing to do with dyslexia, nothing to do with autism. It's this basically everything you're doing to try and cope means you're a cunt. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can say cunt yeah, on the yeah, yeah. No, but it means you're an arsehole. And, the, and, and, and it, you've got to disassociate... Mm the dealing with the things which are just things from a subjective opinion of oneself. And it's so easy to turn the things which you actually have to do into a subjective opinion about yourself about them. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I think it is funny. Is that something a comedy moment can come up? <laughs> <laughs> yes, suicide. <laughs> oh, I could, yeah, no, by the way, no, I won't say that. Oh, I'll say one say thing. That, oh, only because it might be my next show. It don't do suicide because if you think depression's really awful, uh, nothing's uh, worse depression than attempting to commit suicide by jumping under a train only to get to a station and file there's a row replacement bus <laughs> <laughs> so that's that is delightful unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately true but it was like oh I, oh no <laughs> no <laughs> i can't no <laughs> Do you know what I mean? A rare replacement but, suicide. <laughs> Can you imagine? I attempted to drive, <laughs> drive now. But um, yeah, because that's the thing. Because I'm sure you have loads of ADHD things. He says using a, a, a clinical term. <laughs> um, as I have autisticy things, and you have autisticy things, and I have dyslexic things, and oh, I've got two. I've outdone you both. I was so cross lateral. Which means nothing. Um, so cross lateral basically means my strong hand is the opposite way around from my strong eye. But 
what it basically means is when I was uh, 12, they didn't know what the hell to say. So they just went, oh, he's cross-lateral. What's the, so, so you're... Are you, so you're... Usually what happens is if you're left-handed, your strong your eye is your left sorry. eye. And if you're right-handed, you're strong. But my strong eye is my left and my strong hand is my right. And that also affects the way my mind... My mind is like a dyslexic and non-dyslexic. I am dyslexic, but it's also some to do with... The creative elements are on the wrong side and all that sort of wow. stuff. Wow. Oh. But no, it's, it's not... Inter- it's basically... In the 80s, what they said when they wouldn't diagnose you with autism. Oh, oh I see. It was, like, it was like, oh, we don't know what to do, sod off type have thing. Have to be cross-lateral, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, the... Um, suicide. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you segued into our theme, which is coping. Um, yeah. Well, I, yeah, you said choose a theme and we go coping. And now I'm going, why aren't we talking about the making of wooden wheels for wagons? <laughs> <laughs> As he brings out a pun that only someone from 1852. <laughs> because even as I look at your face, I'm you still don't know what coping is. <laughs> coping is wheelmaker. Oh, I see. Sorry, see, yeah. I thought you were oh, going no, no building. Is it coping? I don't fucking know. <laughs> it's coping. That's uh, cooping, isn't it? I don't, I don't no, know. No, don't you? Uh, co- I thought you were being all surreal. I thought this no. was a Noel Fielding moment. No. Um, so it's uh, Cooper. I don't know. Was Coopering? That's something, isn't is it? Is it like some oh. the surname Cooper? Oh, yeah, because that's yeah. the surname. You've yeah. you've, you, uh, you've out intelligence. <laughs> surnames are jobs. Surnames yes. are jobs. <laughs> I'll list uh. the podcast as Coopering. <laughs> <laughs> so it's both dyslexic and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got mine for coping. That says Coopering, does it? <laughs> <laughs> but um. I, I, it's uh, and we, we, we've talked about you talking about this, but you, you've had things to cope with in, in your life. I think that? everyone's had things to cope with, but I've had, had a few more than than most people. Well, I had. Uh, I wasn't diagnosed at primary school. I was isolated. I comfort eight. I got to sixteen stone at the age of sixteen. Then lifelong eating disorder that rotted my teeth, leaving me constant pain. Then self worthlessness led to. Me getting an abusive relationship. Um, I didn't want to be gay. Um, so when I when I realised I was gay at like eighteen, I got in a relationship with a girlfriend to try and not be gay, which is sort of the a normal thing that a you know first relationship that a young gay guy does if he's eighteen and she's eighteen. But instead of ending up like being Will and Grace, it ended up being like Will and Vladimir Putin, and she force fed me at knife point and threatened to kill me and got other all isolated me and my friends and stuff. Had a mental breakdown, um, attempted to play a practical joke as a way of connecting because I couldn't communicate. Um, that ma- practical joke was misconstrued by police and I intrinsically went to prison for a crime I didn't commit and then ended up um, attempting to turn my life around. After trying to turn my life around, I then uh, ended up homeless. And then I was rejected by my parents because without telling them about the abusive relationship and without a diagnosis for autism, they thought I'd chosen to to do everything in my life and they just couldn't cope with someone who's choosing to do all these things. You just listed that all off like it was no big thing. You're like, I'm going to the store and I'm going to buy blueberries and apples and pasta and that's like quite an intense list. Well, after that it starts to get bad. (laughs) <laughs> um, but then you I, met Simon Cowell. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think I think um, it's well. Th- I'm. Yeah. Th- th- I am an age now, which I will not admit to. But the age now that I admit where, where that story stops is like twenty three years ago. Okay. Didn't I mean? So it's like. Can I ask what? How did? So you wound up going to jail. Yeah. How long were you in jail? I was on remand from the 18th of October, 1888. No. 18th of October, 1999 to January the 10th, 2000. So I was there for the millennium. Oh, wow. Which meant uh, I got a lovely view of the fireworks on the Thames. (laughs) I I wrote, I think, I wrote a book in there. I wrote a ballad of Wandsworth Jail about mental health, which was like a sort of a, a version of um, 
What's This Blokes, Oscar Wilde. I wrote a, two musicals in there. One musical is an allegory of my situation, but about a little boy who'd gone to an orphanage and was saved by a clown called Blue Eyes. Wow. Have you... Have they been... No, these are all... I've wrote a symphony when I was 19, and that's in my loft. These things don't... Ha- you know, I've, you go forward. You go forward with what you're doing. But, but you never, like, at 19, you didn't try to, you didn't share this. Uh, my, my, my method at 19 for trying to become a composer, which is what I was, was I wrote a symphony when I was my think, second year of university, and it was working with other people. And I thought, oh, no, that didn't go too well. <laughs> so then in my third year of university, I wrote for a small jazz septet, and then I thought, oh, that doesn't go too well. And then I wrote with just singers, and I thought, oh, that didn't go too well. And then I decided the best way for me to be a composer was to do everything absolutely utterly on my own. Mm. But the biggest problem about, I think, comedy for autistic people is so much isn't about just being funny. When I started doing comedy, I thought I'll be the funniest one, and then people will choose me. It's all about who your friends are, who knows you, who likes you. And trauma, for a long time, as I was getting over everything, did make me a bit of an arsehole mm. because it made me properly hate everything about myself. And being bulimic made me a bit of an arsehole up until, like, two years ago. But then again, I don't want to people to think I was always an arsehole and gaslight myself because one thing I've always done, knowing I was... I can come across as a bit of an asshole. Is I've always, always, always tried to be as absolutely utterly nice as possible, mm-hmm. and I always see people who are naturally just a bit of a git, and think, how can you afford to do that and still operate? And it's because people they can work people skills like magic. Mm. I can't really work my people skills, so. I always try to be abs- absolutely, utterly nice as I fucking can because I know at some time I'm going to come across as a git. Yeah, I find that very... very what, that I come across as a no. git? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually why we brought you here. It feels like there's a, like... It's, it's so hard to talk about stuff without, like, sounding very self-pitying, but it does... I do often feel like in in some, like, social sort of work situations that there's almost, like, a list of... Like, I'm already guilty of being, you know, a bit weird, a bit rude, a bit abrupt, and all those sorts of things. So if I, if I, am, if I fuck up and I am rude, it's like, oh, Andy's, you know, and all these other things. Well, I think, so. I think not having that sort of friendliness, mm. genuine... And, and this is, it wasn't just at, at uh, comedy I was learning. When I was 24, I didn't instantly go into, oh, you've got life of comedy. I was doing constantly shit job after shit job after shit job. And in those jobs, I was... You know, I'd be there for three months, the next one for six months, the next one a year, and you're learning skills. And it's exactly that sort of thing. Like, I remember learning that you had to say hello because Mm. the first job I went to, if, you know, if you don't say hello to someone, you're not actually negatively saying something bad to someone. You're just sitting, and this is a neutral state. Logically, just sitting in the corner saying nothing is a neutral state. But what happens if you sat in the corner for ages and something goes wrong? You are not the person who has smiled and said hello every day who's done one thing wrong. You are the guy who sat in the corner all the time and said nothing who's done one thing wrong. Mm. You are the odd guy who... So, But logically, you know, it's it should just be a neutral state. Everyone should just be autistic and, like... Be like me. That's what I've yeah. argued for all the time. Yeah, <laughs> finding a cure. That's, that's I attempted that when I spread the virus and the <laughs> <laughs> attempting to vaccinate. You work for the Pfizer, world. don't you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna have to back up real quick because if we don't, we're gonna get a lot of emails going. But what happened? So you were you were jailed for a crime you didn't commit. What happened was um, I had a I was abusive relationship, mental breakdown. Um, a mental breakdown, couldn't connect, couldn't communicate. So what I decided to do was play a practical joke. Since I was a kid, I've I've used comedy and humour to connect because what happens is if you make a mistake, you look like a twat. But if you make a mistake and then you own it, you you have some sort of 
you know, I remember once when I was playing cards with my... No, it wasn't playing cards. Oh, there's a Monopoly story, but I won't go into that. Uh, my parents weren't that rich, and once, for pudding, we just had a single digestive biscuit. Right. And they put it on the table, and I threw it at my dad. And my dad goes, why is that fly through the air? And a split second, I thought, it's a plain biscuit. Lovely. Which is a great child. (laughs) And through that, I learnt that comedy was sort of a way of connecting and brothers and sisters, and I didn't really get the world. I learnt that you isolate from the world and you try and stay as far away as possible because the world hates you and you are nothing. But if you have to communicate with the world, comedy and sort of being odd was the way that I deliberately chose because if I'm going to be odd anyway... I may as well do it in a way that's mine, and I've owned it. So anyway, get to the age of 18, and I'm a person who communicates in humour. Multiply that by mental breakdown. Multiply that by isolation from everyone who loves me. And we've got a guy walking down the street, holding a music stand, dressed as a comedy-armed robber, about to go into a shop where his ex-girlfriend works and say, music stand and deliver. I walked down the street, decided not to do it. As I was cross- as I was walking home, after deciding not to do it, I crossed the road in front of a police car. They asked me what I was going to do, and I told them what I was going to do. And I had no support and no-one around me. I wasn't diagnosed with autism then, and I had police who were particularly gitty. Um, one, because it was 20 years ago, and two, because in that particular borough, it was where all the new sort of uh, sergeant recruits went, I'm told, and they wanted to make, you know, points for, for promotion. Jesus. I got a lesser sentence, but within all the, uh, the makings and doings of it, it did properly screw me over. God, I can imagine. So what did they charge you with? Uh, like, we're going with a imitation firearm with attempt to threaten. And you tried to explain that it was. Oh uh, uh, no! I said it was a gun, because in my mind I didn't see the context. I just thought, well, this is a joke I'm playing, and I never said the word joke because in my mind it was so obvious it was a joke. So you, and when you said you're dressed as a comedy bank robber, what? I had a Snoopy hat on. <laughs> I had a red bandana sort of thing round my neck, like you'd have it in the Wild West. Mm. I had a chunky white jumper and sort of baggy jeans. But I had a Snoopy hat on. Oh, and a grey granny's wig. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. I had a grey granny's wig on. <laughs> Fuck me. No, because... Why is that left uh, no, at the end? No, no, because what I'm doing is, as I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm painting the picture and thinking, maybe I did look like a criminal. <laughs> and then I had a little grey curly... Oh, Agatha, what's her name? Agatha Christie. No, not Agatha Christie. Angela La- I don't know. Angela but Lally. curly, curly... So- They're bastards, aren't they? <laughs> They're utter bastards. Wow. And so you went to court. You, did you not have a lawyer or anyone there to advocate for you? In that, oh, I did. But the barrister, they, you know, they looked at it at first. Uh, the, 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 I went to the police station, and the uh, solicitor should have just said, "Go silent." Mm. But he said, "Say everything," because apparently he was new. Jeez, that's like a really bad luck day. It's a really yeah. bad like, luck thing. Like you... But on the plus side, my prison nickname is Snowy or Choir Boy. Right. <laughs> and the reason it's Snowy is because when I was in the... Um... Oh, it's not Snowy. Fuck me, that was someone else. It's, it's, <laughs> wow, blo- it's Blondie or Choir. Okay. Snowy... I don't, massive... not sure if I want to know where Snowy got his nickname <laughs> yeah. from. Snowy was from the... I've got no idea. But he was this big, bald-headed, like, massive, built, like, t- shit house, uh, tattooed with scars all over him. 
I attempted suicide and I got moved to the segregation wing. The segregation wing is the wing where they keep all the people who are nasty, properly right. nasty, as in Dunstan. Like, there was this one guy who came in who is a blind guy and is in the cell opposite me. And I felt really sorry for him because he, he got in there and he was like, where's the TV? And you're just thinking, oh, no, there isn't a TV. And these, these, these screws are real arseholes, some of them. I, when I first went into prison, um, you have to do, naked walk through. And as I was walking through, this guy had uh, drawn red pen on his glove and said, bend over. Oh my god! So, but um, anyway, so when I was in the when I was in the segregation stroke mental wing, uh, yeah. So the blind guy, oh, where's the TV? Where's the TV? An hour later, he was calling across the cell to, uh, and what he'd done was it basically he used to get little girls to help him cross the road because he was blind, and then you can fill in the gaps. Oh. So this was the really nasty wing, and one of the guys in that really nasty wing called Snowy was down the end and. Uh, he was the one who gave me the nickname Blondie, but he was, as you know, he's built like he. But anyway, the the choir boy is a good one because the reason I got the nickname choir boy is because uh, a week before Christmas, because I was there over Christmas, they had a, a service of carols, and because everyone's so restrained and kept down in prison, if you get the chance to sing. The whole room of you know atheists and people who didn't give a toss about it were singing their lungs out. So they're singing "Oh Come All You Faithful," and when I was a kid, I was a choir boy. So everyone else is going "Oh Come Let Us," uh, and I remember the discount from when I was a choir boy. <laughs> so prisoners say "Oh Come Let Us," or Oh, come, oh, come, let us adore. Oh, come, oh, come, let us adore him. Cry. And, and I did it, and I got a standing ovation, a round of applause <laughs> in the prison chapel. And the nickname Choir Boy, and the vicar came up to me at the end and said, Do not come back. No, I know. Why? Because you brought joy into people's hearts? I know. I, by the way, I sang it much better than I just sang it. <laughs> I have to say, as a pro- performing professional. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so coping. Basically, the one good thing, and the one good thing that comes out of being stretched a lot, Uwo misses, and there isn't another prison joke in there, <laughs> um, is that you do learn coping mechanisms. And I think... One of, particularly for parents, the trickiest thing is they don't want to see their kids go through crap. Yeah. And a lot of society is about, well, we should change society for this because to accommodate people. But whilst we should change society, we should also learn to cope. And it should be sort of a 50-50 because um, by learning, you do yourself empower yourself to access areas. Yeah. rather than only getting areas to other people who give you access. It's a bit like women's rights, you know. Um, the old thing of um, giving up a seat for a lady. If it's always in the man's power to give up for a seat for a lady, then maybe she'll get a seat on a train, but will she get a chair on the board? <laughs> I was worried that was going to be way more problematic than it <laughs> so thank you. No, no I don't even mean, she yeah, shouldn't so. get a chair on the board because <laughs> she's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think your point about coping is really interesting because it's one of those things where I think with there's, there can be advice about coping mm. that's really help that's helpful to an individual, yeah. but isn't how we want to structure society. We no. want to structure society in a way where every where people don't have to cope. You know, where well, everyone's are. coping is different. Someone mm. might have like a small wagon. Someone might have like uh, wooden wheels. Uh, the- <laughs> <laughs> Confused again. This is Coopering. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> this is a different podcast. For All right, you. Cool. Um, we'll invite you back for our Coopering podcast. All right. Cool. <laughs> Do you get a lot of sensory overload? Yeah, but the the older you get, and the more you are able to structure your life around it, um, the 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 more you can sort of cope and accommodate because everything in your life. I was saying this earlier. It's very hard to know what your 
struggles are so much when all you've got are the processes for dealing with them. Mm. And frequently what happens is you only realise your struggles when for some reason that process goes. Yeah. And uh, so last week, I, I've got lots of corporate things I have to write for at the moment, touch wood, before I come pour in January. And then I had gigs, and then I'm re- having my website redone, and I had to contact about that. And I do my regular social media things. And then at the last minute, I got a, uh, quite a big gig thing. Mm-hmm. So I had to uh, do three very big gigs that I couldn't say no to. And you just learn, you know, I take my noise-damping headphones on the train. I have a, a a plan which is a plan which is you know pages and pages to uh put my life into a certain order i've got a way of uh ordering the things i have to do i've got uh after a while you, you grow older and you i think autism pickiness for me is pickiness but it's also maybe it's learning that if you limit things you've got less to think about mm. you don't have to think you know because when you make a meal you don't have to think about all the other stuff you have to think about if you do the same thing every day. Um, but, the, yeah, there's so many ways I could go into that, but the short answer is, yes, I do, but the older you get, the way you've got of co- coping with it gets better. The If I ever have a melty-down, meltdown type thing, you know, when I was a kid, I used to sort of break all my you know, uh, toys and break, and throw mugs on the floor... I very rarely throw mugs on the floor now, although I do. Um, I've tried loads of different things, but, you know, it, it literally is the same as when I was a kid. It's If I get overload or a meltdown and that happens, I've got a screaming child in the back of my head, sort of absolutely utterly screaming to me. And I, you can't go on. We've talked about this. You shut down. If I if I happen anything, it sort of gets over and gets quite sort of agitated, and I can be you know an asshole. But what I've got it down to now, if ever I get really really to that point, um, I tried a stress ball. But the annoying thing about a stress ball is when you need it, it's not there. Mm. But the thing that I've always got here, which I I'm embarrassed to say because I'm a 45-year-old man. But the thing I I break is my glasses. Now, these lenses are prescription lenses. And these glasses are um, reading glasses that I get off eBay. So if ever I screw my glasses up, I've got a spare pair of reading glasses and just put the lenses in another pair of glasses, which is sort of a workaround and isn't a perfect answer by any means but compare that to screaming child kicking the shit out of every tv in the you know vicinity yeah and that's so i'm giving a if ever you see me so those glasses their days are limited if you ever <laughs> see me and my glasses are chained <laughs> you've had you a go, bad oh, day oh robert you've got new black glasses i like this oh yeah <laughs> Um, Robert White, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank this has you been so much. A, absolutely fabulous and such an interesting conversation. Well, thank you. Um, at the end of each podcast, we like to ask our, our guests if they have a neurodivergent moment, a little moment that's like, oh, my brain's different. Well, I've got loads of ways in my, which my way is different. And I told Joe that it's very hard to see. But you told me this in the past. I told him <laughs> this in the past. But I'm now just about to tell you in the future as yeah. well. <laughs> I told him now in the present from uh, something in the future is going to come. I'm going to describe what I said in the past, which is that... Um, and I also said it during this... So it was in the, in the, in the present past as well. Um, uh, if, you, if you've got the coping mechanisms, you don't see the struggles. But something ha- new has happened recently, which is this, which is I've got a bacterial ear infection, or I've got an ear infection, and standing on stage, it's so totally different because a lot of my ways of coping with intuitive, lack of intuitive social skills and reading the audience come from getting empirical data from them, which is from sound and from seeing. So my neurodivergent moment recently is standing on stage and remembering 
what the fuck is this about? Whereas a lot of my last 20 years have been ways of dealing with what the fuck is this about? <laughs> but because my ear has taken away a few of my coping mechanisms, I've been feeling a bit more, what the fuck is this about? <laughs> but on the plus side, three of those gigs, one was at uh, Hammersmith Apollo, one was at Wembley, and one was at Glasgow. Three of those gigs, you didn't really need to know what it was about because you were a bit more pretendy. <laughs> if you're in Wembley and there's a second long um, echo, you're not really thinking, what is Marjorie on the front row doing? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So that is my recent moment of... Lovely moment. There we awesome. go. Uh, what are you working on at the moment? What, what, where can people find more of your I'm, stuff? I'm doing gigs. Uh, I'm working in the musical. I've got a, a documentary trying to work out. Um, I do lots of corporate speaking and going around telling people how to be autistic. And um, I'm possibly thinking of working on some sort of tour hour show for next year. Uh, we're working out how to do that. And... Onwards and upwards and keeping going. Is the, the documentary, is that the Joe Ball? It is, wow. and because we did it in lockdown, it didn't get what it should have, so we're thinking of trying to do something next year. Oh, fantastic. Cool. So that is, have you seen it? I have it. I have Wait, seen um, the Incognito one, one. Sorry? I've seen this yeah. one about Incognito, but it's, it's about you. It's about me and on, on tour after Britain's Got Talent, but it's got lots of autism because it's me, and I think it's quite fantastic because he's fantastic. So where do people find uh, this documentary? Oh, we, we're going to probably put it out. We're still working out how and where to put it out. So, And where does everyone find out about your gigs or social media? Me is robertwhitecomedy.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got all the links on there. I've got my socials are at robertwhitejoke. But all of those are linked on my website anyway. All right. Cool. Lovely stuff. Thank, Thank you, you, Robert. Thank you so much. Thank you. fascinating dude he's brilliant you know i've known robert for years and it wasn't until you suggested having him on the podcast and i was like of course we should have robert on the podcast and you were like you know he's been to prison and i had no idea uh yeah amazing yeah he's he's had a life my one complaint didn't bring his tank top game to the people have seen the video clips (laughs) <laughs> uh, usually he has beautiful tank tops, but um, he had an, an equally beautiful sort of uh, sports jacket on. But uh, <laughs> go- Google him for some beautiful tank tops. Wonderful. And when you say tank top, do you mean sweater vest? Is that not what a tank top is? I thought they were the same thing. Um, in America, a tank top is like... Oh, well, it's like a like call- a crop top that like... No, it doesn't have sleeves. It is a vest, but it, it you would never call like a sweater vest. A sweater vest is a sweater vest. A tank top is like made of t-shirt material oh, and like worn in the summer. Yeah, yeah, it's not that. They're sweater vests. Yeah, sweater vest. That's what I'd call it. I don't know what you call it over here. <laughs> I'm probably wrong, yeah. I don't think it's a British thing. I think it's uh, a me thing. Okay, okay. So, hey, Joe, do you have a a neurodivergent moment uh, of yourself and maybe one to read? Here's my neurodivergent moment of me. I've had a good Edinburgh Fringe, and uh, when you have a good Edinburgh Fringe, you get get meetings, the TV producers. So I've had a few meetings with TV producers. Um, These are the first sort of meetings I've had in person, like comedy meetings in person, where I've gone, I'm not going to worry about eye contact. I'm not going to be... and I, I'm happy to, I often have like a, a hairband thing that I sort of stim with. Um, and do you know what? I can listen to people now. I'm properly engaging in those meetings and I'm hearing what they have to say. It's brilliant. I know, I know what those meetings are about. In the old days, I would go to meetings uh, and have no idea what they're about. But um, but I've had some, some meetings where I have listened to people. So that's my neurodivergent moment is for the first time having a meeting where I've listened to the person I'm meeting with. And you're able to listen because for the first time you are allowing yourself not to make eye contact in fidgeting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it, it, I, just, I can listen and engage with people more. And it's, um, it's such, uh, it just feels like such a weight off my shoulder. I don't feel like I need to perform, uh, perform neurotypical and, 
uh, you know, and concentrate on that rather than what, what's being said. And you know what? Your ability to do that sounds like a great way to cope in a neurotypical yes, yeah. world. Yeah. It, well, well you know, it's that, I guess that's that there's some things which are coping and some things which were, and I think for, for me, it was getting to the point where it wasn't coping. It was not helping in meetings. So, um, uh, so I've been there. Yeah, I guess sometimes unmasking can be coping. You know what I mean? Now, now that you say that out loud, just because you're coping doesn't mean you're masking. It's yeah. how you move through the world in a in a comfortable way. It's how you it's, live your best life. It's finding your own way to negotiate your way in a world that's not ideal. Yeah. Yeah, now I wish we were, I didn't say what I did at the very beginning of this in the <laughs> intro. I've just had a revelation. We'll leave it in. I don't want to read it. Yeah, we'll leave it, it in. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was it? Do you, have you had some neurodivergent moments? Yeah. So um, I was supposed to uh, meet my buddy, Angela Barnes, a friend of the show. First episode. Please check oh, it yes. out. Uh, and we decided to go to dinner before one of her shows here in London. And um, we decided on a day and I picked the restaurant and told her that I would uh, make a reservation and we talked on Thursday and I was like, no problem. I'll make the reservation for Friday. And uh, and I was like, cool. And I went home and I wrapped my niece's presents and I was like, I will call the restaurant to make the reservation for Friday on Thursday. And I saw, I got a text from Angela saying, hey, I'm at the restaurant and they don't seem to have your reservation. Uh, did you get a chance to make it? Uh, she said Friday the entire time, or excuse me, she said Thursday. See, I still think we Even were going to meet on Friday. She said Thursday every step of the way, and all I could think was Friday. And God bless, if anyone's going to understand this situation, it's Angela Barnes. So I called her, I apologized, and like put on some jeans because of course I was in my unicorn onesie and ran out to have dinner with her. I was like, like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I thought it was Friday. You're right to say that you, you, you made a mistake because it's it's reminding me of a time with my wife where um, she forgot to make a reservation and she told a little white lie that uh, that restaurant didn't, doesn't take reservations uh, and we show up, and they're fully reserved for the whole evening. <laughs> the lie came unglued. Yeah, that's something my boyfriend has uh, uh, talked to me about. He's like, no more lying. No more being <laughs> like, oh, I definitely uh, remembered to transfer you the rent today. It must have been on hold because my bank is... He's like, just just say you forgot and transfer the goddamn rent. <laughs> I'm like, Honesty is the best policy. Yeah, honesty is always the best policy. And uh, we have some neurodivergent moments from our listeners. We've had some lovely ones. Thank you for sending them in. Um, Can I go first? Yeah, go first. Uh, This is from Chris Derrick. He says, hi, Joe and Abigail. I love the podcast. I was diagnosed with autism last year, aged 44. Congratulations. Uh, So it's great to hear all the stories. It's wonderful to hear others like me as I come to terms with my diagnosis. Long time suspected, so things make much more sense now. I wanted to send you my neurodivergent moment. You can mention my name for your use on your podcast. I was allowed to reuse the name. That's good. A while ago, I went to my local swimming pool. I thought it would be good to get some exercise and thought I'd try swimming. I got changed in the changing room and headed out to the pool in my swimming shorts. At the door out to the pool, I saw a sign that said, Overshoes must be worn at all times. I often get confused with signs and on reading this one, I reached for a pair of overshoes and put them on. I then walked out to the pool. However, I stopped and considered how strange this was. Me stood there with swimming shorts and overshoes. I couldn't think why they would be required. A health and safety requirement, maybe. I thought it was odd and then I wondered if it meant to wear them only with shoes. But that's not what the signs said. Why do signs lie? I felt very silly in them. So I went back to the changing area and took them off. I went back out to the pool and was very relieved to see that nobody was wearing overshoes. <laughs> Luckily, no one had seen me in them. My wife found this amusing. We still laugh about it now. There are so many moments. For example, my wife telling me I should give her compliments and a week later, me telling her that she had a nice head. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my boyfriend. Lovely stuff. <laughs> 
I hope that was in like a Valentine's Day card. You have a nice head. Uh, buy my wife a pair of boots and a rape alarm for Christmas. Um, I don't know whether they're wrapped together or... Uh, my wife's friend asking me what I thought of a theatre performance during the interval after a long synopsis and me shouting, it's shit. <laughs> I hope that was not my show, uh, Chris. Oh, no, he hasn't seen my show yet when he sent this. It's okay. <laughs> However, I hope you like the overshoes one above and it'd be great to hear it on your podcast. You're going to be, you're hearing, you're hearing it now, Chris. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, by the way, Joe, your tweets on the parent slash French joke in July brought a tear to my eye. Well said. Oh, I did, yeah, I did some material about um, uh, a parent of an autistic child. And um, uh, I, I, I thank you because it pissed off some people. <laughs> so I, I'm glad some people liked it. That's one of my favorite jokes from your show. I've told people that story. Thank you very much. Do you know what? When I put it online, I thought the fact that it's mildly racist about the French, I thought that would be the controversial bit. But um, I annoyed some um, some parent groups. But um, but hey, what can you do? A lot of parents loved it as well. Exactly. Do you have a neurodivergent moment, Abigail? Yeah, I do. And um, I just want to give a bit of a trigger warning as far as this does talk about a surgery, I don't think it's very gory. A very gory. Oh, God, listen to me. I'm, I'm not setting this up right. It's, she's talking about a cesarean section. I just, if someone, if that makes people feel queasy, I just want you to know. Um, this is from, she doesn't say whether we're allowed to say her name, but I think it's okay for me to say her first name at least. Uh, this is Beck. I, um, you sent a part one and part two. Uh, I'm just going to read your part two uh, because I found this fascinating. When I go into my autistic overload mode, I sometimes can't speak. And if I try to, it comes out as gibberish as if I'm having a stroke. So most of the time, I just stay very quiet and withdraw. I react this way to pain as well. So, when I had my cesarean for my daughter, I had a huge anxiety about the epidural going into my spine. I was sitting there quietly, staring with unfocused eyes across the room while they tried to talk to me. Which, by the way, is fucking annoying when I'm trying to rein in my anxiety. I get that neurotypical people like to talk their anxiety away. But for during my overload episodes, talking just adds another massive task to my brain is unable to complete. So all of the sudden, the obstetrician calls everyone's attention urgently to my vital signs. She starts explaining that I'm having a reaction to the medication and that they have to emergently. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I get what you mean, Beck. Probably is a word, and I've just never seen it, to be honest. But they have to perform an emergency C-section under general anesthesia. She explained that my blood pressure had skyrocketed, 250 over 110, with the rate, heart rate of 130. I had broken out into a rash all over my body. This always occurs to me during high-pressure moments, like uni exams. I calmly informed her in what I'm sure was probably a creepily monotone voice that I was indeed shitting myself. <laughs> this is amazing. I'm so sorry, but Beck, you, you've been through the mill, but what a beautiful <laughs> writer. To which she repeatedly questioned why I appeared so calm. I assured her that the reason I appeared so calm was due to my autism and had to convince her that I was not experiencing a life-threatening bodily reaction to the medication. It <laughs> Took a bit, but eventually she accepted my explanation and the procedure went on smoothly as planned with me awake. <laughs> That's the whole story, but wow. <laughs> wow. I would argue that, you know, they talk about autistic superpowers. That right there is a superpower that you can go through all of that, be freaking out, being trying to calm yourself down. The doctor's freaking out, and you, you're just like, it's okay. I break out in hives when I'm having a uni exam. 
So why wouldn't I while I'm giving birth to a child? <laughs> that, that, that really reminded me of, I had to do a talk for some uh, health and social care students. And um, I was like, what, what, what's the thing I want to say to like health workers? Um, I made a little note of it on the side. And uh, then I didn't, re- I, I didn't know whether she saw it, but Jagger came in the room the other day and I had a po- the post-it note just said, I don't know what pain is. It's the note that I made for myself. Um, so that was what I wanted to share with the uh, students. I meant that I don't always know how to describe pain, uh, but it sounds like I'm threatening myself. <laughs> I just like that you have a post-it note. I don't know what pain is. Must explore. <laughs> sounds like Pinhead from Hellraiser. It's like next to that, I was like, I don't know what pain is. Next line, buy hammer. <laughs> like <laughs> two lovely moments, uh, I think. guys. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing them. If you have a neurodivergent moment you'd like to uh, have us read out loud on the podcast, you can email us at neurodivergentmomentspod at gmail dot com, and we now have an official social media for the podcast which is at NDM underscore podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening. See you in a fortnight. Bye. Bye.